um, <clears throat> we know these guys stand up here and we know, okay, they were in the military. Um, but I, I really think that, um, well, if you've not been in the military, you don't really know what that is. It's not something, it's not your job. It's not the job you go to every day, although you do that. Um, it really is a life. It's um, your existence. There's really, when you're in the military, that's, that's you. Um, it's, not, it's not something, you know, this idea of 24-7, I don't think... I don't think the average person knows what being in the military really is. And it's not always good. It's not always fun and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes you work for jerks. Sometimes you're the jerk. But, um, but, it, but it really is a life. It's an existence, a lifestyle. And so it's um, up. And, and then right after uh, Vietnam, you know, we did away with the draft. And so most of the uh, modern generation chose it. Um, they chose to go into the military and... Um, and knowing that there's potential, you put your life on the line. You know, that's a, that's a big deal. It's just a really big deal. And so we want to always acknowledge that. When you see somebody in the public and they're wearing a uniform or something, tell them, thank you for your service. Uh, it's, it's a, it means a lot to them, and, um, and, and it really is a big deal. I think we need to make sure that we recognize the, 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 the reality of, uh, of military service and what that means. And so, yeah, very honored to be a part of, um, of this group of people. Very honored. Um, so I, uh, so I was elected Tuesday night. I am, <clears throat> I'm now, I'm pretty big time. And so, uh, so I'm not gonna be able to hang out with most of you anymore. Sorry about that. It's just, just the way it is. <laughs> um, this is, um, this is obviously this is a new step for me. We've been processing this, myself, the leadership, some of, of many of you. We've been kind of walking through this, what this looks like. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit of the details. Um, so the session starts in January, goes from January to May, and I will be, um, theoretically, I'm going to be uh, every day in the Capitol from 9 to 4. Um, that's not always how it works out, but uh, sometimes you're later, sometimes you're earlier, whatever. But but uh, there will be a lot of uh, time, a lot of downtime while I'm there uh, to give me the opportunity to do a lot of the things that I do sitting in my office right here. So, so it's not going to be a, a major transition for me in that aspect. It's just where I'm sitting. But, but the rest of it is a major transition on a lot of levels. And, and uh, the, even in this election, I'm, I'm hoping everybody is paying attention to all the stuff going on all over the country with this election this thing was just as broken as what we expected it to be. Uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on with this election. And, and think about this. We've got computers that are counting these votes, and it takes five days already. Something's very wrong with that. It should have taken about an hour. We used to hand count in a day. So this idea, this, this whole thing is messed up. It's broken. Um, we, we need to really be praying about this. One of the things that I... I've already done. So immediately after you get elected, you've got to go to these things and meetings and, and indoctrinations and stuff and uh, <laughs> orientations. I'm sorry. They call it something different. <clears throat> but um, and we, w one of the things we did already was elected the uh, GOP leadership. And uh, even in that, and we're very small this year, by the way. We went down. We lost four or five seats. There's only 19. And some of those are still kind of up in the air a little bit. So it may be as few as 17 Republicans in 66 seats. Uh, so this is huge. And to tell you this, because I'm already seeing, even in the Republican side of this, the, the um, duplicitousness and, the, and the, um, just the dishonesty that goes on. This stuff is crazy. I, I mean, people have always been telling me, oh, yeah, that's how it is. Guys, this is broken. I'm talking on the Republican side. This is very broken, dishonest people that are saying a lot of things and doing something else. And even in the meetings that we have, well, they'll sit there and lie right to your face. Um, very discouraging. The best that I can tell of, the, of all of the people going into the house, there's only four of us that are really um, Christian, conservative, constitutionalist. Only four of us. Um, that's very discouraging. But, um, but Daniel did okay when he went into uh, Babylonia, right? So, so we're going to do fine. So the, the biggest thing I'm asking is please pray, please pray for me. Anytime you're thinking about it, please pray. 
Um, Tuesday night here at the church, we're going to have um, a time. I, I didn't set this up. Some other people and pastors in the community did this. But a uh, bunch of people are going to gather here, and they're going to pray over me and over Ken DeGraff, who's one of those four people. And he's a District 22 representative. And uh, just, just anoint us, pray over us, and, a, and an, another pastor is going to be um, leading this and taking care of it. But uh, I want to invite all of you. I would, I would love for you to be here, to be a part of this. And um, I don't know how long it's going to go. I don't, I don't know. But because uh, it's not my thing, but I'm just the thing. So, uh, so join us 6.30 here Tuesday night. Pray over uh, myself and Representative-elect DeGraff. And, uh, and, and really send us into uh, Denver uh, with, this, with this anointing. So, oh, I did want to mention, um, uh, I've, I, for me, maybe not for you, but for me as a special guest with us this morning, um, is Jennifer. Jennifer, why don't you raise your hand, wave your hand. So Jennifer was in my youth group when I was 21. <laughs> she was two. So, um, <laughs> but uh, there's something, I'm going to get emotional. There's something about that, you know. Um, uh, maybe, maybe I said or did something right. I don't know. Chris, are you serving God, Jennifer? Are you doing? Okay, good, good job. Um, you know, it's just, uh, that was, that's just, it, this is a cool thing for me. So, and it doesn't make me feel old either because she doesn't, she's not old. So, all right, I'm talking about, um, <clears throat> Talking about marriage and uh, all the stuff in marriage, this is the fifth week of this. This is the final week, but I did add this week because I don't know if you guys are listening or not the first four weeks, so I want to bring this home. But, uh, but, but look at marriage, and you can tell over most of these weeks, except maybe one of them, that all of this really is bigger uh, relationship with God subjects that you apply to your marriage. Okay, there's certain things in life that are really defining things for all of us. They're, they're, they're the most important issues in life, and you can narrow those down to a very small number, like a handful of things in life that really are consistent with everybody, and they are, are major things. One of the biggest is money. Uh, money affects us all. We don't get out away from that. It's going to affect you uh, your entire life. And so one of the things that the church should do is talk about money. I don't talk about it enough. I need to talk about it more. In fact, um, every now and then the board will say to me, or recently a, a spouse of a board said, why don't you talk about tithing more? Like, because I think everybody should just already know that, but uh, we don't. And so money's a big thing. Um, our relationships, the, the highest of that is a uh, marriage relationship. Those are, you know, family. Those are defining things for every single person. You say, well, I'm not married, but you are part of a family. You came from a family. You are a family at some level, and you are going to be family. So these are defining things for society, for all of us. Um, uh, talked a little bit about this last week, our sexuality, sex itself. That's a major defining thing for us as human beings. Uh, and, then, and, and for the most part, the church doesn't even talk about that. So I'm going to talk about sex this morning. No, I'm not, I'm not really. <laughs> I'm not. I brought pictures. No, I'm not talking about, not talking about sex this morning. But, but that's a big thing. That's a defining thing. And for us to pretend like that stuff doesn't exist or for the church not to talk about it is dangerous. That's where, the, that's where we, in society, that's where we get farther and farther away from God within the context of sexuality. Because think about this. You say, well, as a, as a 40-year-old, well, uh, people should just know. Yeah, except a lot of this crowd sitting right here doesn't know. And they're getting their information from school and from society and from a lot of places they should not be getting their information from. And so this is why we need to talk about these things. But a lot of the stuff I've been talking about really is about life in general. How do you apply this in your relationships, in your work setting, all this other kind of stuff? And so I want to kind of break this down for us today in looking at this. That, and, and here's the thing. I think, this has to be, I think this has to be the starting point for all marriages. If you say, I, I, I think there has to come a point where you say, I, I want a healthy marriage. And you can do that in any kind of relationship. You say, um, friendship, I want a healthy friendship. Um, workplace, I want a healthy workplace. There are certain things you can affect, and there are certain things that you cannot. But the ones that you can, do that. And that's the part where we don't put enough uh, focus on it, scriptural focus and then attitudinal direction toward these things. Am I really going to, um, to change this? Am I really going to make this better? Okay, marriage is, 
Marriage is the everyday kind of thing. How do you make that better? Well, the first thing is you've got to make a decision. Do I, do I really want to be a good husband or a wife? Do I really want a good marriage? Once you decide that, you, you've taken the step in the right direction. Now it's just how. It's not if. It's how. The if is, is a given. You will have a healthy marriage. But you've got to, to do this. See, I, I, I pick on this sometimes, but this idea that marriage is 50-50, that drives me crazy when I hear people say that. It's not 50-50. If you two become one and you're 50 and she's 50 or, and then you become one, you're still 50. You're 50, but you're half. But if you personally say, I'm going to take 100% responsibility for this marriage, 100% on my shoulders, and no matter what the other person does, I'm going to own this. I'm going to take the responsibility, and I'm going to pray this thing into existence. I'm going to live this thing into existence. I'm going to treat the other person right. I'm going to do everything that I can to make this a healthy marriage, regardless of whether they do or not. If you're 100%, then your marriage is 100%. And then if, the, if your spouse is having a bad day and they're only giving 1%, I mean, it's a pretty bad day, but if they're only giving 1%, you're 101%, right? So you can say anything with numbers. So, <clears throat> so here's the starting point. This really isn't everything, but we're going to really focus in on this in uh, marriage, is know the dangers. This is something we don't do very well as human beings, is really process... Who I am, what are my weaknesses, what are, what are, what are the things that I have, a, um, like a crack in the wall, what are those things? And do this on a personal level, okay? The, uh, we just did this as a staff, we did this thing, Patrick Lencioni came out with an, a new book, a new thing they did, came out with a couple years ago, and the book just recently came out, talking about your working genius, and, and, and it's a very personality-driven assessment and all these kind of things who you are and those kind of stuff. So we did it as a staff. We just had our, our pastor board retreat uh, last week, and we did it with, with um, our board, spouses, staff, spouses, everybody there. And then we just talked about it and process. And, and one of the things is you don't just assess who you are um, just so you have knowledge. It's so you can do something about it. It's so you can interact with somebody, so you can understand certain things, so there can be some health in this area that, that maybe normally would not be a, a naturally healthy area. And so you begin to try to figure out, okay, where, where am I going to, if, if you've got a, if your life is a chain, where in my life is that weak link? Where, where is it most likely to, to crash or crack or, or something? And figure that out and process, okay, this is what this looks like. How do I fix this? And then as you do that individualistically, then when you add that to your marriage and to your spouse and you begin to interact with these things and you say, okay, here's my strengths, here's your strengths, here's my weaknesses, your weaknesses. How, where, where are our natural pitfalls going to be? Where are the pro, where's our problems going to, to happen? Okay? By the way, that doesn't always mean in those areas of weakness. Sometimes your problems are in your strengths because you, you, <clears throat> you're, you're overdoing that. Okay? The, the things that will make you the greatest will also make you the worst. So, so you got to figure this out and do this. But one of the things is to, uh, to make a healthy assessment and know, know, know where the problems are going to be. Know where the danger zones are. Talk about this. Communicate about this. Now, here, here, let me help you quickly get to the, to the center of this. Your spouse knows your weaknesses. Now, they, may, they he, she may not be telling them to you <clears throat> because of the risk of pain and injury, but they know where your weaknesses are. And here's the reality. This is a good assessment. This is just real. A good assessment of your marriage is how easy can you talk to them about this? How easily do how how comfortable is are you in your marriage to say to your spouse, "I think this is where your weakness is." Right or wrong, can you say it? Do you have that ability? Because my experience with counseling couples over the years is most marriages cannot say that. They don't have the freedom in their marriage to say, hey, this is where my weakness is, this is where your weakness is. Now, I would suggest if you're going to bring that up and start this fresh and new, start with your weaknesses, not theirs. But your spouse knows your weaknesses. Talk about it, assess it, process it, because that's going to be an important thing here. So Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at this, um, the the, the script. This is called, this is what we call uh, Adam and Eve's curse, 
But depending on how you process that or define that word is, is going to determine whether you see this in the right way or a healthy way or whether you don't. The idea that's, that, um, that we would have of, of cursing is, is that we, you know, in a sense, we can put something on somebody else's life and say, now this is what you have to deal with. This is the curse that you deal with, and it comes from me. Or, or in this circumstance, we would say, okay, God put this on Adam and Eve. He cursed Eve with this. He cursed Adam with this, and now they have to deal with that. But that is not the right way to look at this scripture. It's not even close. Okay, What God does is he verbalizes how they curse themselves. He verbalizes and, and codifies, this is what you did. This is the door that you opened. This is the problem that you caused in your own existence. And oh, by the way, all of humanity to follow. This is the problem and this is, this is, uh, this is how it's going to look over time. Now why? The, I think the biggest reason that God tells us that is not just to illuminate what they did and how they did it wrong. It's to, to show all the way down to me right now to show me how I need to, to see Adam's issue so that I cannot do that. So that I can learn from uh, this and not, and not continue to, to revisit this curse throughout my entire life. Now, the, the curse that they brought upon themselves, that is going to be consistent for all of humanity. But you decide how much it controls you how much it's in charge and that kind of thing. So here's what happens. Um, uh, God tells, God creates Adam, and he puts him in the garden. He says, you're in charge of the garden, right? Th this is something that gets lost here because when we get into Eve's curse, we need to know this. We need to have some healthy understanding of the parameters. God said to Adam, um, you're, the, you're the one that's in charge of the, the garden, but that, that was the planet at that time, right? The entire planet. You're in charge of the planet, the garden. You have authority over this thing. You're going to take care of and tend the garden. And um, then he says, and you're going to name all the animals. You're the one that's in authority and in charge of all the animals and all the garden. So Adam was in charge of the fruit of every tree, including the one they weren't supposed to eat. He was still an authority over that. And he was in charge of all of the animals, including the one that Satan infested called the serpent. And, by the way, Adam named the serpent. Now, I've said this before, and I know that sometimes people are like, ah, I just don't know if I can go there. I'm not trying to convince you of this, but I think scripturally this is what is seen in here, is I believe the animals talked. You say... And UFOs. No, I, I believe the animals talked. I do. And here's the reason. I think there's a lot of things that go outside of our scope of understanding, but that doesn't mean they're not true within themselves. And this is what, part of the reasons. When the, when the serpent came up to Eve and said, hey, Eve, what up, girl? She didn't say, she didn't say, oh, a talking snake. I'm just throwing that out there. She just talked to it. She didn't freak out, none of that kind of stuff. Plus, God brought all the animals in front of Adam, and, and, and he said, I'm going to find a helper that's just right for you. Then he brought all the animals in front of Adam to show Adam that these animals, although he could interact with them and connect with them, and I believe talk to them, that they were not his helper, that they were not his partner. Okay? Then he creates Eve. So before he creates Eve, he gives Adam authority over everything, um, gives him authority over the animals, the garden, he names the animals, does all this stuff, then God made Eve. Now, why is that important? <clears throat> because when Eve gets to the point, and this wasn't like the next day. They had been in the garden for a long time interacting with all this stuff. Um, when Eve gets to the point where she comes up to the, to the tree where the serpent is that is of the fruit that they're not supposed to eat at. One thing is, Eve, why are you even there? Why are you even there? I, I would... I would tell my kids this when, when they were growing up in a lot of different ways, but this is one of the ways. And, and part of the reason that this happened, we, there was a football player for the Broncos that our, that our family really liked and all this stuff, and he got shot at a um, nightclub in Denver at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I told my kids, same, same mantra I've said to them many times over in different ways, um, th there's nothing beneficial being at a nightclub at 2 in the morning. You're in the wrong place. That's part of the problem. You're in the wrong place. I've said this to, to men and women for years. Uh, you, don't, you don't find your spouse in that place. Well, I'm, 
We're, I'm going out looking for a man. I'm going out looking for... That's not the right place to look for a man and a woman. And some of you are right here going, because that's where you met. <laughs> now, God's Redeemer. He's a forgiver. But, uh, but guys, we do things that are so negative for us, and we don't, we don't process it. He, they shouldn't have been there. And by the way, Adam was with her. Adam was standing right there because everything we're going to look at starts with Adam. And we don't process it that way, but it starts with Adam. So in verse 16, God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. So, so Eve, two basic things that we're going to see here. Eve is the mother of all humanity. God pulled her from Adam, and, uh, and she becomes the, the uh, life the, uh, the life nurturer. She's the, she's the one that's pregnant. She's the one that nurtures and feeds, uh, breastfeeds the child. She's the one that, that, that covers and, and protects and all the things that is so consistent with motherhood for their entire life. Okay? She's the mother of all humanity. And as the mother of all humanity, she chooses to not be obedient to God, but to give allegiance and heart direction to Satan, to the serpent. God had already told her all the stuff to, that, that, that don't eat from that uh, tree. You know, this is the garden I've given you, all this other stuff. And then she has this conversation with the serpent, and the serpent says, um, Don't you want to know both good and evil? Well, she already knew all of good. She already knew God. She already knew good. She was in complete light and relationship with God, and she begins to be enticed that there could be something more. And she was right. There was something more. Satan only half lied to her, but that's how Satan does it. He tells you just enough truth to make you think this is a truth, but it's not. It's a lie. And he says, don't you want to know both good and evil? Well, she already knew good. Only thing Satan was adding to the table was evil. The only thing she, that he was adding was darkness. And so that's why that, that darkness it, it covers us now. That's why you can't see God. That's why you can't see angels. That's why you can't see a lot of the stuff that Adam and Eve's eyes, their eyeballs that are same as yours and I, they could see this stuff because we added darkness when Eve did this. And so Eve, the mother of all creation, turns towards Satan and says, I'm going your direction. I'm going to choose your path. And that's where the first part of the curse is. He says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain you will give birth in the, in the essence of who you are as a woman. You know, this is part of the problem with, with our society. This is why society attacks babies and babies in the womb and, and, and women having babies and things like that. One of the things that we're seeing, and there's a bunch of stuff online you can check on this and see it, is that um, women in the corporate world get attacked when they want to uh, get pregnant. Well, you don't need a baby to make you valuable or worth or whatever. And nobody's arguing that. But God puts it within a woman to desire a baby. It's normal. You're the life giver. You're the nurturer. God makes that within you. And women do that a whole lot better than men. Right? Every single part of it. We make little jokes about it, but it's true. If guys had to give birth, there would be one child born and never another one. <laughs> Just the guys watching him be like, not doing that. <laughs> but it's amazing what God does with women. I've always been amazed by this. I was awed by Linda when she was giving birth and the children were babies and all this stuff. It, that she could go on like an hour of sleep every night. I just don't, I, did, I couldn't get, and then, and then even the concept of, of breastfeeding, what that does to the female body, that you're giving all that baby, the, the, you're giving the baby all the nutrition and, and nutrients and everything that they need, well, where are they coming from? Your body, a woman's body does that. It's just absolutely amazing. That's why also women struggle with like calcium deficiencies and, and uh, warped brains and stuff when they get older because children... <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that, guys. That's just science. <laughs> he says, I'll sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you'll give birth. And here's the second part of this. This is big. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. 
See, here, here is the reality of this. God told Adam, Adam, here's the garden. Here's the planet. You're in charge. Tend this thing. You're, you're over the animals. Name them, all this other kind of stuff. Adam and Eve both walk up to that tree, and the serpent starts talking to them both. Why didn't Adam answer? Why didn't Adam say something? Why didn't he step in front and say, wait, Eve, I'm the one that's authority over this whole thing. I'm the authority over the garden. I'm the authority over that tree and that fruit. And I'm the authority over that serpent. And if I'm right, this doesn't actually matter as much, but if I'm right about the animals talking, he says, I know the voice of that serpent, but this sounds different. Why are you saying this stuff, serpent? Why is this coming from you? This sounds different. This has, this has an element of something that I don't know what it is, but it might be that darkness you're talking about. Why didn't he step in front of Eve and say, Eve, I got this? I'll give you just a basic one. This is the easiest one to process. When the serpent hands her that fruit, Adam is standing right there, and she starts to take a bite of it. Why didn't he at least say, no, Eve, please, let me take the first bite and see if it really kills us? He sat and let her take the bite. And then he said, well, it didn't kill her. I guess I could have a bite too. What a hero. Right? This, this idea, and, and this was pretty strong a few hundred years ago with a very misogynistic feel to it, is that Eve was the problem. Eve did do the thing, but Adam was the problem. And so... For the first time, half of you in the room are like, he's speaking truth. <laughs> and so he says, from now on, now Eve is still accountable, okay? There is never a, a complete assuaging of, of accountability, right? Never, okay? But if I could put a percentage to this, this is just me, of, of guilt here, it's about 20% Eve and about 80% Adam. But see, Eve is still responsible for her own actions, decisions, and everything else. And so God says to Eve, you will desire to control your husband. Why? Because you open that door, Eve. You open that door. And once you open that door and Satan steps in, that's, you've given him that authority. And this is going to continue for the rest of, of womanhood on planet Earth. And then he says, but he will rule over you. Why? Because in, in, before they were partners side by side, but Adam had the authority he didn't take it, and instead of her taking another step back, which means he's now in front, what she should have done, taken a step back, moved over behind him. <clears throat> Said, Eve, you deal with this, dude. Something's not right. But instead, she took a step forward and reached out and grabbed the fruit. And so for the rest of womanhood, there's going to be that desire to step forward and grab the fruit, but he's still going to be uh, the authority. But not in a good way now. I mean, it can be, but not necessarily. In a good way, he's still given the authority over the garden and everything else, but he's being a wimp. And so there's going to be that tension, constantly that tension. Now, I've seen it play out a lot of different times over, over the years where, where a husband isn't serving God, wife is, she wants to raise the children in God and all these other kind of things. So she begins to take that step forward and be that uh, spiritual leadership and responsibility. Why? Because there is a vacuum and it still needs to happen. And so she begins to do this with the children, take them to church, pray with them, all of this kind of stuff. But there will always be tension between him and her in this, even when she's doing the right thing which is not what Eve did, but even when you're doing the right thing, there's going to be tension because this is not the way God designed it. And so forever, Eve has these two things. She opened the door as the mother of all creation. She opened the door to bring darkness, pain, sickness, all this other stuff into humanity so she's going to have pain in childbirth. The other part is she stepped in front of Adam to do that, and so there's going to be this stepping in front mentality. Now let's get to Adam. And then he said... And to the man he said, 
since you listened to your wife. Why are you guys laughing? Because you're like, I've done that. Been there. Since you listened to your wife. Here's the deal. Adam dropped the ball in every single way possible here. Eve wasn't given the authority over the garden. Eve wasn't authority over the animals. She didn't name the animals. She didn't do all of this stuff. Why did he not do anything here? Which, by the way, my experience with men for the last 32 years is this is always where they drop the ball. If a man's going to fumble, this is where he's going to do it, is not taking the spiritual responsibility for the authority that God has given him over his wife and his family. Not a, not a domineering thing that has nothing to do with it. They're still side by side. God took her from his side. They're still this side by side. But to lead the family, lead them in prayer, lead them in spiritual walk, that the husband is pursuing God and getting in with God with everything that he is so that that is how he husbands, that's how he uh, parents, is out of the depth of relationship with God, not just mental knowledge of Scripture, not just church stuff, but really pursuing God. And that's where his ability to husband and father comes from. That's where we're the weakest as men. Not, not every guy, but for the most part, we're all going to have to struggle with this. Are you going to step up and be who you're supposed to be? Or are you going to take the Adam route? Because that's, that's what he said. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, you shouldn't have done that. <clears throat> but since you did that, here's the next part. Remember, he was given authority to tend the garden. Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. He was the authority over the ground. And I don't know what tending the garden looked like, but it wasn't a bad thing or a toiling thing or a difficult thing. I don't, I don't know what that meant, but it wasn't a challenge. It was done in authority, not in labor. Done in authority, not in sweat. Now, while we still have the authority, that authority has been handed off to Satan. Now he's in charge of the planet. And now everything that we do has to be in tension against Satan within this authority context. Now the ground becomes something we have to toil with. And it's cursed because of us. And it's not natural. It has to be tended in a physical sense, not an authority sense. It has to be tended in a, in a sweat equity sense, rather than just a spiritual authority that it just happens naturally. Now, I don't know how the happen naturally works, but I do know within this context that, that it changed. I, I saw a thing online the other day, these very bright liberal theologians were trying to explain how the Bible is all metaphor and it's not real. And they said, for example, God said to the snake, now you're going to crawl around on your belly. Now, why would God say to a snake, crawl around on your belly, when he already does that? And I thought to myself, and you guys have advanced degrees. But see, they go from the point of view that what they see now, after the fall, within the sin context, is how it always was. The broken sin view is not the God view. And by the way, that works in any area of your life. The broken sin view is not how God sees you. It's not how he sees the circumstances. And he is way bigger than that broken, God, that broken sin view because he's God. They said the same thing about the, um, the um, uh, fruit. Well, how, you know, how could they eat this fruit and it really affect them or or how can they begin to go all the, do, do all these different things? Well, how could this have happened? How could this have happened? Um, because it was already that way. It wasn't already that way. There was no thorns and thistles that came later after sin. The, the serpent didn't crawl around on his belly. I don't know what he looked like. I think he probably looked like a, a commercial gecko. But I mean, I don't know what he looked like. But he didn't, he didn't slither around on his belly. How do I know that? Because when God said, now this will happen, that means it wasn't before. Because God is the definer of everything, not us. Right? So he says this to the woman. He says this to the man. He says, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. 
Life becomes difficult after the sin and after sin. Life is always more difficult after sin. We don't think it is because sometimes we have a, a temporary benefit from sin. But your life will be worse because of sin. Always, 100% of the time. He says, it will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat. And before then, he didn't. He just had food to eat. Until you return to the ground from which you are made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. I always, I always want to throw this out when I read that scripture. This is a sidebar. This has nothing to do with the message. But um, people question me about, uh, well, what about um, uh, uh, casket bur- uh, birth? What do you call it when you... Casket death or um, cremation and things like that. And uh, I've really studied this quite a bit. And, I, and these are the conclusions I came from. You, you came to. You can just figure out what you want to think about this. I would say study it before you just come to a conclusion. But we take this verse that says, um, you, you came from dust, you'll return to dust. So therefore, we shouldn't do cremation because we should, um, we should do uh, casket burial because you're going to return to the dust. Okay. Well, there's a lot of problems with that line of thinking. Here's the first one. What is your casket made out of? Are you going back to dust? Are you going back to inside of a box? Here's another one that I've, I've heard people over the years process. See, I think the, the reason we had problems with cremation for a long time is because it was a, attached to a lot of pagan uh, worship and, and, and cult stuff and things like that. But that's really, it wasn't directly attached to that in many settings. That was actually the best way to deal with a dead body. It wasn't, didn't have anything to do with the spiritual. Then sometimes it did, but it's because that's the best. And by the way, that's still the best way to get rid of a human body is through cremation because you're putting a dead body into the ground. There's a lot of problems that can come along with that that you don't have with cremation. And so people say, well, what about if you cremate the body? Well, how is God going to resurrect that body? How's it going to resurrect anybody? But if you're in a nice, neat little casket and all your bones are there, yeah, for the percentage of people that are in a casket with all their bones there. When I was out to sea, you bury people out to sea sometimes. Well, what about them? You think their body goes down to the bottom of the ocean and stays there in a nice little bag? Sharks eat it. Well, how do you resurrect it? Well, you're going to resurrect right through that shark's body. That's what he's going to do. The idea is sometimes we say things and think things we haven't actually processed them. Plus, there's nowhere in Scripture that has anything to do with um, a negative about cremation or anything, or doesn't tell us how to do it, right? Sidebar over. <laughs> so here's what he says to Adam. Um, and by the way, part of the reason I'm in favor of cremation is because it's cheaper and easier on the family. I've just seen it too many times. So much cheaper and easier. You don't have to deal with all the stuff. So he tells Adam, Adam, I gave you authority over all this thing, and you handed that over to Satan. So everything Adam's going to deal with, the rest of, of man, male kind, is going to be based upon that moment. We now have to struggle to make a living. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean for everybody it's sweat of the brow in the, in the specific sense, but it does mean you've got to go to work. You've got to go do something. You've got to get up every day. You've got to do something because... We're not, we're not in the garden anymore. We don't get to just eat from the fruit untended, uh, unworked on. We have to work at this stuff now. I just know that life is going to be more difficult than it should have been because of sin. Because of an Adam and Eve sin and because of sin in a general sense. And just to throw this out for the men, guys, your responsibility is to step up. Your responsibility is to carry the load of this thing, the weight of this. And to lead your family in God, to lead them in relationship with God. Not just bring them to church, although if that's all you're doing, that's better than nothing. But it's actually to pursue God and go after him. Have that relationship that when your kids hear you talking to your God, they know there is depth there. They sense this relationship. They sense the the connectedness and the intimacy you have with God. They can feel it. They can hear it. They can see it. And then the most important thing for them is that they can walk in that pattern. They can follow it. The second thing, your hope is in Christ. 
Genesis 3, verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly. Because he wasn't, now you're gonna. Groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. I've had people say this is why women don't like snakes. First, not all women dislike snakes. How many women in here you have no problem with snakes? See, you're not biblical. So, <clears throat> maybe you get a little Jesus in your life, you'd hate snakes. I, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. But here's the thing, between your offspring and her offspring. Who is this offspring? It's Jesus. He's going to crush the head. He says, I, he will strike your head to Satan, the serpent. And, he, and you will strike his heel. So as Satan begins to crush the head of Satan, Satan reaches up and bites him in the heel. That's the cross. There was pain. There was the cross moment. It did, it did hurt Jesus. To assume that he wasn't hurting in the cross is, is willfully naive. It, it was brutal for him. And yes, Satan did reach up and bite him in the heel, but it's the cross that crushed his head. It's the very cross that Satan was trying to hurt Jesus with that destroyed the power of Satan over anybody that submits to Jesus. And it's the offspring of Eve. And he's telling Eve, Eve, you messed up here, but guess what? There's always redemption. There's always redemption. That's why, that's why the scripture says that there's salvation through childbirth. That doesn't mean that your soul is saved and you go to heaven because you had a kid. In fact, the potential of you going to hell becomes greater as you raise that child. But, <laughs> but it's, it's the, it's the um, giving of birth that goes through this whole pattern now. The pain of childbirth and the tension between all of this, recognizing but Jesus also came through a woman. And it is the salvation of humanity that comes through the birth on, uh, of a woman on this earth. Because it's an amazing story. It's a great story if we grab onto it and we live in it. Satan is defeated. He's defeated macro, but he's also defeated micro. But you decide that. See, he's already defeated in the big sense, but you decide whether he's defeated in your world. You decide whether you're going to walk in Jesus or whether you're going to continue to do this in yourself. Seek wisdom and understanding. I'm not going to read all this. I'm out of time. Somebody put too much information in here. But read down through Proverbs chapter 4. I, I've got certain verses, but just read the whole thing. I left certain verses out for time, and that's irrelevant now. So read all of Proverbs chapter 4. But here's the thing that I get for us is that we need to really seek understanding. Don't think you know everything. See, what happens is when you first go into marriage, it's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know. Can I do this? Can I, are, is this going to work? And then after about a year to two years, you kind of settle in. You're like, I got this. And that's where the problem begins, is you don't got this. Seek understanding. Find an older couple in the church that have been married a while. And if you've been married a year, that could be 10 for them. They're like veterans now of marriage. If you've been married 10, maybe find somebody that's been married 25. Right? I tell you a, I tell you a resource that is not tapped very often, and, and even right here in the church, is... Um, People that were married a long time, but maybe their spouse died. They still know. They still got the information. We've got people in our church that have been married 40, 50, 60 years, but their spouse is not around. Go talk to them. Ask them, how did you do this? And once they say something stupid that's funny, then you can get to the wisdom and understanding of this. Figure out. There's a, they did something right. Seek that wisdom and understanding. We've got... We've got a, a, a wealth of this. I've had some phone calls recently, three or four, but two specifically, from um, a previous senator. They called me and said, hey, Scott, I'm, congratulations on your win and all this stuff. Um, I'd like to get together with you the next couple of weeks because I think as a Christian man going into this context, I can help you with some stuff. I said, please. Well, how dare I think I already figured it out? This guy was a senator for years and years and years. And he said, I, I just want to try to speak some stuff to you. I'm like, I'll listen all day long. I'll write stuff down even. 
Because there's knowledge of there's wisdom. I had another person that was a congressman for years that is still very connected with many congressmen in D.C. And he said, I want to I talk with you about some of this. I'm like, all day long, let's do this. Just don't ever get to a point, even if you really have a lot of knowledge in whatever area you think you have, which is usually not as much as you think you have, but even if you've got a lot of knowledge there, look, search out wisdom and understanding. Search out people that can help you through this. And we had some of you don't know about this, but um, a few years back we had a family in the church that the mother and all of the, the teenagers were killed in a car crash, the whites. And, um, and now Gordon's by himself. He was the dad. And, and I'm the pastor. And I'd been through this four different times in the past. But I still, I called up some people that I knew. Other people called people. I had a guy send me a book he wrote about this. I'm talking on the phone. Why? It is, it is arrogance and it is, it is destructive arrogance to assume you know how to handle all those kind of things. Every person is unique, every situation, every circumstance. Guys, let, let God show you what to do. There's wisdom in his word. There's, there's you, what you need is in here. What you need is here, but you've got to pursue that. It doesn't just naturally happen. So obviously the last one here is always pursue God. You don't know the best way to have a healthy marriage? Pursue God. If your spouse is absolutely crazy, you know the best way to fix them? Pursue God. Don't try to fix them. If they're crazy, you can't do it anyway. Pursue God. You say, circumstances at work are difficult. Pursue God. Well, this is happening. Pursue God. And it's amazing how God will fix these things in your life, and he will begin to give you wisdom and understanding, all the stuff that you need, and all of a sudden things begin to turn around and change. Pursue God, not just your own understanding. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. That is the decision you make. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? God, we submit ourselves to you. Lord, we don't know everything, but you do. God, we know some things about marriage. You know it all. God, we know some things about life. You know it all. So God, I pray first, just in a general sense for us, in our workplaces, in our communities. God, you know it all. So give us direction, wisdom, discernment, your spirit. That's, that's, that can speak into our heart and our life at a moment's notice. God, I, I want to be who you want me to be. And God, I pray that specifically for marriages in our, in our group here. That God, you, you make us who you want us to be. God, you, you designed this marriage thing, and you designed it to be a good thing. You designed us to be connected with you and with each other. But God, we mess it up so often. Help us, help us to listen to you, to pursue your heart, to get in your word. Lord, that we seek you above everything else. We seek you. God, help us to see the importance of this and then to go with it, to follow through with it. In the name of Jesus. That you're the king. You're the creator. We're none of these things. You created everything. You created me. I didn't create me. You created Linda. I didn't make her. God, and when you finished creating her, you said that you did a good job. So God, help me to see that through your eyes, not my limitedness. Help me to see marriage through your eyes. Help me to see how we interact with each other. But help us to see this through your eyes. God, help us to have the marriage that you decide. That even before the creation of the earth, you decided you wanted it to look like this. So Lord, help us to be true and open and honest with ourselves, with our spouse about our true weaknesses and the dangers and the potentials out there. 
And then, God, we pursue you. We just pursue you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, cover our marriages with your blood. Lord, we know you you crush the head of Satan, but sometimes he still tries to get up in our marriage and our business. So Lord, crush his head right now. In the name of Jesus, crush his head. Cover our marriages with your blood, and we claim these, these marriages in you in Jesus' name. God, wherever all the marriages in this room are, bring grace, bring your power, your love. Jesus. And God, I pray specifically for the men. Every man in this room, they will take up, that they will take up the mantle of the authority of leadership. And that they will guide their marriages, that they will lead their marriages in relationship to you. That they will lead their, their spouses and their, their spouse and their children to you they will display that, exhibit it, will be sincere, be real, and that their their family will draw closer to you, Lord, because of them. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So again, homework. Be honest with yourself. Truly analyze who you are, what's going on. And then do something about it, the weaknesses. Do something about it. If you say, look, I'm not praying like I should, change that. Well, I, I, I talk too sternly. Okay, change that. Analyze and then change it. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus Christ loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, tell them you're glad they're here, and uh, we will either see you at the journey tonight or we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon. Ha uh-huh.